0: So Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 to 17. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Well, may the Lord bless the reading and exposition of his holy word. Verse 14 is striking because it begins immediately with a command, with an imperative. And that word strive is in the plural. Uh, which we in Arkansas have the privilege of being able to say, y'all strive. But what does it mean to strive? The word um, in the original language is actually a, uh, has, comes with the sense of to pursue something aggressively. It's uh, you being, y'all are the sheriff or the sheriffs on the trail of the desperados. Uh, that y'all are the hunters, who are trying to get food on the table. There is a determined, focused purpose. And for what do we strive? We strive for peace and holiness, which is peace and holiness being the title of the sermon. And also you'll see that it's basically peace and holiness in our lives and then peace and holiness in each other. First, it's in our own lives. We have to look to ourselves first. Peace. Peace with everyone. I don't know about you, but I want peace with people I like, with people I enjoy. But this is peace with everyone. This is the consistent gospel message. Romans chapter 12, verses 18 and 19. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We cannot have peace with everybody, but we need to be sure that people hate us for all the right reasons. Sometimes people dislike me, Because I'm a jerk. And so the fault is mine and I need to strive for peace. But there are instances when we are disliked or reviled or mistreated only because we love the Lord Jesus, because we hold fast to what the Bible teaches, especially in this day and age, what the Bible teaches about morality. So we, we strive for peace. And the peace for which we strive is not fake. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. We have to have peace. But the peace that we seek, that we hunt for, that we chase after, is a peace that is clear and open and doesn't gloss over all sorts of awkward things. It is difficult to strive for this peace. We're also supposed to chase after holiness. Now, holiness is something without which no one will see the Lord. Just because Jesus paid for your sin does not mean that God is comfortable with your sin. We ought to diligently study what it means to obey God's law. We should be careful and how we approach the word of God. I'll give you two quick examples. The first is the most obvious. Jesus says in the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Soren Kierkegaard says uh, purity of heart is to will one thing. And the, the one thing that you will is to do God's will, is to follow God's way. And so there is in the teaching of Jesus the connection between having a heart wholly devoted to the Lord and seeing Him in His splendor. More practically, in First Peter chapter three, verse seven, it always strikes me, and um, and I should, you know, maybe my wife should should put it, stitch it into my clothing. Uh, you may not know what First Peter 3, verse 7 is, so I'll read it to you. If husbands do not live with their wives in an understanding way that honors them, their prayers are hindered. That, that is my, um, my uh, paraphrase, but let me read you the exact verse. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. How we comport ourselves, how we obey the word of God, the life that we live of holiness can hinder our prayers. If you um, ask me exactly what that means, I will refer you to uh, Paul Sagan, our resident theologian. But I think it's interesting that there is a sense in which we cannot cavalierly presume upon God's grace. He has poured out his grace upon us, and yet we should still strive for peace and holiness. We should make it our ambition to live as followers of the Lord Jesus. We should hunt for peace and holiness Imagine the scene it's May 11th 1960 It's just after 805 p.m. on Garibaldi Street in the outskirts of Buenos Aires, Argentina Anybody know the story yet? Momentito, señor. Just, a, you know, a, a little moment, sir, said One man speaking to the other and the rest is history. The man speaking was Peter Malkin, one of the most celebrated Israeli secret agents. The man to whom he was speaking, his name, he went by Ricardo Clement, but his real name was Adolf Eichmann, the engineer of the final solution. To kill 6 million Jews. But Eichmann escaped after the war. And by 1952, he lived in Argentina. And he prospered. I read on the internet that when he was captured, he was working for Mercedes-Benz. That he um, had built his own house uh, in 1960. But he was caught. Decades after the war, and they uh, expatriated him to um, uh, Israel without the permission of the government of Argentina, and he was tried. And in the wee early hours of June 1st, 1962, decades after the end of World War II, he was hanged. We should strive for peace and holiness. Like discord and sin have slaughtered your parents and your grandparents. We should pursue peace and holiness the way the Israelis chased Eichmann. Wherever holiness is, whatever holiness costs, whatever I have to do to live at peace as best as possible, with men and women generally, but most especially with brothers and sisters in the Lord, whatever it takes, I'm going to go there. John Owen, in his book Mortification of Sin, the um, the thing that strikes me most about the book is he talks about how you shouldn't figure out how close to sin, the action of sin you should get, that you should combat it at the very first thought in your mind. This has been transformative for me. As a young man, I would have thought, well, what should I do or not do? And Owen says, guard your desires, guard the lingering thought. What what do you think about? What's the resting state of your mind? Don't try to figure out how close to the fire you can get and not get burned. Put out the flame of sin. Mortification, of course, means death. So that's the first point. In our lives, we should pursue, we should chase after, we should run for peace and holiness. Second, We should pursue peace and holiness in each other. Now, um, that means that we have to ask each other awkward questions. And uh, I I am a sinner. But one of the observations that uh, my wife made about me is she said, Jason scares you. And it's true. There's a scene in the movie going my way in which the young priest played by Bing Crosby, is told by the old priest that he needs to go and investigate something to see whether or not this couple is living in an adulterous relationship. And the way I always remember the line, which I don't think is true to the movie, is the old priest says to the young priest that he has to go because he only handles the small sins. (laughs) Bing Crosby has to handle the big ones. But if we're going to pursue peace and holiness in each other, we have to be willing to ask each other difficult, uncomfortable questions, to hold each other accountable. Then why should we do that? Well, look at verse 15. The goal here is that we we don't want a root of bitterness. That's in people's hearts. We don't want a root of bitterness. That then what? Causes trouble. Now there's a controversy in the church, right? It goes from my corrupt soul and infects the congregation. And then what happens? It makes people defiled. The opposite of holiness. One of the things that I appreciate about this church and the church's session is the um, the wisdom of recognizing the importance of discipline of church discipline, not just for the person who is in the wrong, but also in everybody else. We are at a church where if I am unfaithful to my wife, then I will no longer be a pastor. That is not always the case. And that is a wicked and horrible thing, not just because it doesn't help the man who's sinning, but also because it gives no warning to other men of what holiness looks like. You let a bitter root cause trouble, and then what happens? People are defiled, which is the opposite of holiness. So we hold each other accountable because we love each other, but also because we love the, the individual, but also because we care about what our community is encouraging people, how people are, are, are to live their lives. And he gives two examples, sexual immorality and the example of Esau. Um, Dow personally uh, had a very funny joke about I mean, I'm sorry, maybe it's not funny because it's, it's serious and people are losing their ministries. But he, he pointed out that, uh, that um, oh, did, did that man lose his ministry uh, over a fourth commandment violation? The fourth commandment being Sabbath breaking. And the issue being, of course, I don't know of a single instance of somebody losing his pastorate for a Sabbath breaking. But there are men who lose their pastorates for sexual immorality. And we ought to guard against sexual immorality because it's prevalent. We are drenched in it, in our culture. The second point, this, this unholy like Esau, takes uh, the rest of the section that we're looking at this evening. What is the unholiness of Esau? The unholiness of Esau. I think the unholiness of Esau is that he casually and arrogantly dismisses the requirements for blessing by God. Now, our author provides his own illustration. And in verses 16 and 17, he refers to two different episodes in the life of Esau. I'm just going to read... the first episode, and then I'll talk about the second. Uh, Just um, several verses at the end of Genesis 25. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Robert Alter has um, several charming observations on this passage. He notes that Esau, um, his Hebrew comes very close to being substandard. And so uh, it presents him as a kind of rough and rude man. And so he translates verse 30, which the ESV makes very clean and polished as, let me eat some of the red stew for I'm exhausted. He translates it as, let me gulp down some of this red, red stuff for I am famished. The um, gulp down, he never actually, I think it's um, the only instance in the Hebrew Bible that verb is used and in and, and later um, usage, it's only referred to animals. And so he's kind of, I just want to, you know, give me that tasty grub. And, uh, and so he's just a, a rude man. And then verse 34, uh, Esau ate and drank and rose and went his way. It shows this quick succession of verbs shows just how much he doesn't care about his birthright. There's, he, he grabs his meal. It's like Jacob's uh, drive through red stuff. Parks his car, stuffs it down, and zooms away, totally unthinking. But of course, then, poignantly in Genesis 22, when it comes time to receive a blessing from his father. We know the story. Isaac is deceived, which of course is bad, but it may well indicate that Rebekah understood the importance of getting Isaac's blessing in a way that Esau did not. And so by the time Esau comes late to receive his blessing, after Jacob had been blessed, pretending to be Esau, he says very poignantly, have you any blessing? Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, oh, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. We cannot so casually dismiss the blessing That could be ours most pointedly. If you are not trusting in Christ, then you need to know as Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27 tells us it is appointed, but once for man to die. And after that to face the judgment. And there will be many people very sadly who, who cry out for mercy on the day of judgment and there will be none. There will be punishment. It's a horrible thing to contemplate. Guitar groups are on the way out. A DECA executive said in 1962 about a band that auditioned the north side of London. Guitar groups are a way out, are on the way out, casually dismissing the group. So DECA signed the other band who had auditioned that same day. Perhaps you've heard of them. Brian Poole and the Tremolos. Anybody? I am confident that even though Brian Poole and the Tremolos is not a band you've heard, I know that you've heard of the band that was unsigned, that was casually dismissed because guitar groups are on the way out. I'm talking, of course, about the Beatles. Apparently, guitar groups were not on the way out. The Beatles have sold hundreds of millions of albums. In 2019, almost 60 years later, in 2019, almost 60 years later, The band earned $67 million in royalties, 60 years after their first audition. The Paul McCartney, John Lennon song catalog is worth over a billion dollars, and Paul McCartney, the man himself, has a net worth of over $1 billion. Don't look at the peace and holiness of the church with a cavalier attitude and say, "Nah." Piety, it's on the way out. Getting along with each other, that's for the birds. No, do not be deceived, Galatians 6, 7, and 8. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Two points of application in closing. We are in our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, our family of churches, fighting for, striving for, and pursuing peace and holiness. We may not have peace with everyone, but as best we can, we are striving, we are hunting for that peace. And we are striving for and seeking holiness. And unsurprisingly, given Hebrews chapter 12, unsurprisingly, given our knowledge and experience of the world, sexual immorality is at the heart of the controversy. And I. I don't think that, that Paul and I are, are particularly uh, contrarian people. I mean, I'm willing to say the, um, <clears throat> the, the word at the right time, perhaps, but and Paul is too, but, but, but we kind of want an easy life. When, when I first got, when Catherine and I actually were dating, I said, if you marry me, then it's poverty and obscurity. That's what I can promise you. It's poverty and obscurity. I'll go wherever the Lord wants us to go. Uh, The more children that we have and the older I get, ease and comfort seems to be my preferred motto, right? And that's not a good thing, right? It's not a good thing. But, But we have got to pursue peace and holiness. It's what the Lord commands us to do. And that means that we have to pursue peace and holiness with each other. And that gets really uncomfortable. It, I, um, the center that I direct, we're going to be partnering with the Center for Healthy Relationships. This is not an advertisement, I promise, um, for an event in March. And so I was asked to kind of look through a book that this person had written. And it's a counseling person. And so I um, – and I don't know anything about counseling. But one of the things that struck me in looking at this book is how the, the counselor says – in counseling, you've got to be very careful not to gloss over what the client or whatever they call it, the person, what the client wants to share but is unwilling to, or, you know, needs to share but is unwilling to share for the sake of your own comfort as a counselor. And I was really relieved by that. I thought, I'm not the only person <laughs> who, who struggles to um, really ask the difficult questions. But we need to ask the difficult questions because we love each other and we're striving not just for peace and holiness in our own lives, but also in each other's lives. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great privilege it is to live life with these people to enjoy their fellowship. Thank you that you have blessed this church richly. And thank you that my family and I are recipients of so many decades of stewardship. Lord, we pray that we all would be unflinching in our pursuit of peace and holiness, of living well with each other and honoring you with our lives. <coughs> Excuse me. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <coughs> oh, sorry. This is terrible. It's like a pocket handkerchief. Stand, look, stand and sing, Soul, adorn yourself with gladness. <coughs>